Hello and welcome to Carefully Taught, teaching musical theater with Maddie and Kikau. A podcast to discuss musical theater pedagogy and to create a community of sharing amongst musical theater educators. Feel free to email us at carefullytaughtpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at carefullytaughtpodcast. Today's guest is someone that we have been so excited to have on. Her name is Laura Reichard, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. She is a director, actor, teacher, stage movement specialist, intimacy choreographer, intimacy coordinator, and the founding member and head faculty of Theater Intimacy Education, or TIE. She is an assistant professor of theater at the University of South Carolina Upstate, and Laura has worked in film and television in NYC, regionally and on national tours, internationally, and devised solo performance productions. Maddie, she is amazing. She's amazing. You know, when we started this podcast, we wanted to have an excuse to talk to educators who were changing the industry, who were looking forward at solving problems. And and Laura is the quintessential example of somebody who saw an issue in the theater and along with her co-founder, Chelsea, uh, is literally changing how we do what we do and making theater education a better place. So like, I couldn't be more excited to have this conversation with her. Uh, usually we re record these introductions before this is maybe one of the first times we've done it after the fact so it's fun to be able to sort of understand or know what the scope is of the interview and we talk about it all you know we talk about uh the importance of intimacy uh directors and choreographers in academia um how important it is right now in the industry uh with productions like state uh, a strange loop which is an intimacy direction by the other co-founder chelsea pace and um yeah, it's just an amazing conversation, don't you think? Absolutely. And she also gives tips on how to talk to administrators that might not get why it's so important to do this work. Um, but but literally, like I, I'm I feel like I'm Laura's biggest fan, but then I know that you are too. So like we're competing for the title of Laura's biggest fan. She's amazing. The conversation is amazing, and uh, we're just so lucky to have her. Welcome, Laura Reichard. Laura Reichard, we're so excited that you're here to um, be a part of our podcast, Carefully Taught Teaching Musical Theater with Maddie and Kikau. Um, I have had the pleasure of taking your best practices through TIE um, and just recently invited you to come and join us at the University of the Arts for a series of workshops with best practices. And um, we just wanted to welcome you welcome you here to, to possibly open up to a whole new group of folks that, that might not be familiar with what you all do. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped about this interview, Kikau. I, uh, I, uh, I mean, this is like bona fide star quality here. Like we, we, we have hit the jackpot in with a lot of our guests, but like, this is literally the co-founder 
of one of the leading organizations training people how to uh, safely uh, uh, guide people through, guide actors through intimacy. I have taken the best practices now, I think four times, maybe five times. I'm not even sure. Um, my my entire faculty here at Chico State has done it, including my, my wife, who has done it quite a bit. And like, I, this is an organization that just, it's not just like they're, they're not just doing the work, but they're doing it the right way. I love TIE. I love Laura. I love Chelsea. And I just feel so lucky to share uh, Laura with our with our listeners today. Well, thank you. That's yeah. Kind. So one of the things I've been wanting to ask you for a long time is you and, and Chelsea co-founded this organization that's really paving the way for uh, safe boundary practice, uh, safe intimacy choreography. You two seem so perfect together. And I've never heard the story about how this all got started. I was saying to Jamie just this morning in prep of talking to you that like you you both balance each other and co complement each other so well. What is the story behind how you met and how this whole thing got started? Uh, we met because of a professor named Dr. Jason David Scott, who is at Arizona State University and um, is in the film program now. Uh, I, we met because I had my first teaching job as a, at a university was at Stephen F. Austin State University. And there Jason, Jason actually hired me at that university. And he left after I was there for a year and went to Arizona State, but he and I stayed good friends. And he saw how I would, the work I was doing, which at that time, uh, I was calling instilling self-care and training. And I was looking at power dynamics, but I was also a movement teacher, uh, an acting teacher also being brought in to help out with intimate scenes. And so I was, I was really kind of looking at, um, the consent area of this work and the uh, taking responsibility for the power dynamics within it. And I went to ATHA, the Association of Theater and Higher Education Conference, and, and it happened to be in Arizona in, I think it was 2014, and Jason was there, and he said, you need to meet Chelsea Pace. She's a graduate student. She's about to go be a professor at that time at North Dakota State University, and that you guys will really get along. She's looking at how you physically choreograph intimacy. And... I was like, oh, cool. So that's how we first met and hit it off. And uh, we sort of kept connecting and, and our research kept coming together through these conferences where other people would put us on these panels together. And so we just connected through that. And um, in 2017, we sat down and had a conversation where we were like, people really want our work and they really want our work together. And both of us had about 10 years of our own research at that point. And we we're like, let's put it together and let's just figure out a way people can find us. And so at 2017 at the ATHA conference in Las Vegas, we did a website and we put our name up. And when we did our presentation there, we were like, hey, so we know y'all seem really interested. So this is how you can find us now. And then we spent the next year and a half, literally meeting a couple of times a week and looking at all the crossroads of our work and creating what is the formal curriculum of best practices 
and figuring out what our mission is and what our ethos is. And then, you know, it really wasn't something that we thought we thought a couple of people would call us once in a while. <laughs> and then the Me Too movement happened and um, and then people became really interested in the work. And so now it's its own full thing that's growing and always expanding. And I, I, I jokingly say, although I'm sure this might offend some people, it's kind of like a teenage pregnancy, something we did for a whole lot of fun that became a whole lot of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is bonkers to me that that was only five years ago and that uh, that happened in in that five years i mean you probably you might know the actual number but ha ballpark how many people have taken the best practices approximately uh through through tie thousands and thousands of people and you started five years ago i mean that, it's bonkers to me it's amazing you also have uh, created Staging Sex, Best Practices, Tools, and Techniques for Theatrical Intimacy, which is the book. Um, how did that come about um, in terms of codifying your work in one place? Um, we've, when Chelsea and I founded the company, she stated then, I think she already had the book contract with Routledge and knew she wanted to, she, she was working on the book then. and. And then in the middle of that, she had a job change and a life move. And then I got pregnant and had a job change and a life move. And uh, so, so once sort of those things settled, she, um, she really did all the labor of getting everything down on paper. So the book is a culmination of all of our research together. And there is some of the book that is written by me, but 97% of it the actual writing of it is written by Chelsea, but all of the work itself is a combination of us putting our research together. And so when we sat down and decided like how the authorships should be noted and, um, and it, Chelsea really gave me a lot of say there. And I was like, you've really done the labor on this book and making it happen. You should be first author. And I'd like, credit as a contributor because that is what I am. Um, and so that's how ultimately they, we, we authored it and that's fine, but it is, uh, the information in it is a labor of both of us and, um, on, and how it came about was just a series of one week we would talk about this in a meeting and one of us would say, okay, I'll take that and I'll go do the research on this. And you take this and I'll go do the research on this. And here's some problems we see with this and here. So what's some solutions here? And Hey, this seems like a good solution. Let's go figure out if it is. And that's oftentimes what we, how we kind of work is we are like, we think this might be like the word that should be the self-care cue. Let's go try it out and find out if it is. And then let's, and let's do the research to find out if it works. So we kind of came up with the word button and then I took it into my classrooms and my productions while I also did the research because I saw that it was working and I was like, why is it working? And uh, started doing um, the research behind why it worked. And so that's kind of how we did a lot of our work. And, um, and then, you know, then we would come back together and talk about our findings and put it into the curriculum and go back. And that's why it's always been great that we've been able to have one foot in academia and one foot in the professional world is, you know, academia is a laboratory, just like the sciences. We discover so much in those in the educational laboratory and we go, oh, this is really working. And then we can take it into the professional world and we have the evidence to show that it works. So. A lot of meetings, a lot of talking, a lot of going and experimenting and coming back with our work and 
and that's 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 how it happened. And now the organization has has grown. You've got, I mean, I'm just, I'm opening up the website right now and it's not just the best practices, but there's working with minors, consent-based casting, uh, consent in the acting classroom. I mean, there's like all different kinds of specialization workshops that you, you offer. It's not just you and Chelsea anymore, but you have a whole faculty of people. Um, we're inter you're, you, you, uh, you have this new program this summer that I'm sure we're going to get to talk about in a second. That's, that's super exciting. Um, and, and it's just, it's just, completely taken off. And one of the things that has been so striking to me as I've been watching this rise to stardom um, is, is that you and Chelsea both seem so committed to equity, to inclusion, to making sure that this work is available to everyone, um, but with through cost and you know just accessibility. That's that's the kind of thing I hear a lot of organizations say, but you actually put it into practice, and it's just so exciting. I have students that now have taken the online best practices workshop because of the sliding scale that it was. I don't remember. 55 bucks or something and they could pull that off where the, you know as a, whereas the professor with an institution paying for them they're going to pay a little bit more and it's just it's phenomenal to me i'm wondering if you could talk about cuz i imagine with with this um with the Me Too movement, yes, but also the increased focus because of other reasons within academia and the professional theater there could have been ways for you to for the organization to cash a lot bigger checks and that's just never been the focus and i'm just i'm curious if you could speak to why well our mission from the beginning was to train everybody who's already in the room at being better at being in the room um and our goal still is and always has been wouldn't it be great to have the practices so integrated that a specialist wasn't always needed that doesn't mean not having a specialist isn't nice. I like, I can do this work really well, but when I direct, I like having a specialist because you can delegate responsibility and it makes it all a little bit easier when you've got more people on board. But um, we wanted to, we wanted to train everybody. And if we have a lot of gatekeeping in place, then not everybody can get that training because not everybody has the same uh, pr privilege and accessibility to funds and time and money. Um, so we, we, you know, we've worked hard to stand behind that. Um, early when we first got together, uh, we had a business manager contract contact us who's really interested in managing us and growing the company. Um, and she said it, uh, it, she said a couple of things. One, if you create a certification, you'll be able to print your own money. And, and, and she wanted to charge like, thousands of dollars for our workshops. And that was just not who we wanted. And we ended up not working with that person. Um, and so, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've been lucky in that we both have had day gigs <laughs> that we, uh, you know, we haven't had to be dependent on the company for our sole income. So we should acknowledge that, that that helps us be able to provide, um, more accessibility to, um, what we do. But, um, but it's something that we're always navigating and trying to do it as inflation happens and running a business grows. That means some, we have to look at costs going up a little bit. We're always talking about how do we navigate that and how do we do that? And, um, and we try to scholarship as many folks as we can. 
uh, it's just really important to us because what we didn't want was the field to become homogenized and it just look like the same person over and over again teaching this work. So um, it, it's not something we always do right. And we have to bring people on to help us and show us our way and show us when we make mistakes and we acknowledge it. Um, but, uh, but it is something that, that, that we will always and, and try to continue to stick to doing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I know Maddie alluded to it, but I'd love for you to talk about the Educator Advocate Program. Um, here at University of the Arts, you know, working with you and your work has inspired um, the creation of a, an intimacy director for our program, right? Like we're, we're trying to um, find that person and also not not the burden to sit solely on their shoulders, but just to have someone that makes sure that um, a, a, an intimacy director or choreographer is assigned to a project or is the potentially the go-to person um, in an acting studio. So this kind of program is something that is amazing. And I'd love to hear uh, what, uh, how that came about and, and how you see it can help programs like mine. Yeah, this was something that that was my baby. I was really excited about that. Um, you know, Chelsea you know, creates all the marketing because she's brilliant at that. Um, but um, but I, I've been really excited about this because I love educators and I love educating educators. And um, and so something that we realized was as this discipline emerged, folks were kind of just becoming the go-to intimacy person in their programs, whether they wanted to be or not. Sometimes it was assigned to them and sometimes they volunteered. And this again goes back to accessibility. Um, and we were having more and more schools call us and hire us to bring us in to train their faculty or doing more uh, even private online workshops with their whole faculty or things like that. And we were like, how can we make this work accessible so the go-to person has some support and their faculty feel supported without always having to be stressed out that they weren't able to get to a best practices workshop till this time or this time. And so we created what we call the Educator Advocate Partnership. And it's an immersive training for uh, five days where uh, a person from the organization has to be nominated by their organization to come. They apply and we choose we chose 18 people to come um, and they will come for five days and they're going to be immersed in uh, can, uh, uh, the best practices along with some of the other specialty things that Maddie mentioned that we train. Um, and the goal is that they feel really equipped when they go back to, to um to be a representative for this work in their program. So if someone is like, but why is it called a self-care cue? They, they can explain it. Or we've got these three new adjuncts. Can you teach them how we set boundaries in our program? And so then it's not bringing in the practices. It isn't always dependent upon getting your whole faculty to a workshop or getting all your students at a workshop. Um, and and so they're a, bit a liaison essentially to TA, TIE for the company. So hopefully that's making the work a little bit more accessible to all to bringing it in. Um, so that's the goal of it. Hopefully we'll be able to do it at least once a year, if not twice a year. Um, 
again, it's something that it, it costs a little bit more than what we wish it would because we were taking a smaller group of people and, and putting so much time into it. Um, but, uh, and we're bringing in a lot of specialty artists on it to offer skills from bystander intervention training to uh, someone's coming in to talk about cognitive equity and theater design. So uh, it, it's something I'm really excited about and hopefully everyone leaves there feeling really equipped, not just to do this work or to teach the work, but to make decision decisions like, I may be your faculty member who you want to be the intimacy choreographer on all your shows, but you know what? I'm not really culturally competent on this show. So we need to hire someone in on this and to help you make those decisions as well. Um, so Chico State was lucky enough to get, uh, we have a representative attending this this summer. And I, I so I sort of watched the whole thing unfold and, and noticed that there was, a, you, you had capped the number a little lower than what you ended up with. I'm just curious why and, and, and was, the, I mean, people must be so excited about what, what is happening this summer that uh, they're banging down the door. <laughs> yeah, we got way more applications than I possibly anticipated and all applications of great quality. And so we looked at if we took this many people, how much time can we still give each person? If we hire, we looked at what that would make the budget then. And then could we then hire more of our staff to come um, and support that? And um and so then we were able to include a few more people. And then we were also able to scholarship um, a few folks as well, which was really important that we were going to be able to do that as well. So, uh, yeah, so we also let people know when we accepted the number, This the number was going to be a little higher than we had originated. So they, if they decided that they didn't want to come with that many people, they we were being transparent. But everyone... Everyone has accepted and is coming. One of the um, things, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, but, but one of the things that's really exciting as a participating school in this is is the opportunity for the education advocate to connect with other people at other schools around the country. I know one of the things that has drawn me to the organizations that I've gotten involved with is that sense of community, that mm -hmm. shared experience, because... I'm the one musical theater person at my school. So the Musical Theater Educators Alliance has been a place where I can like, that's kind of how Kiko and I became friends actually. And we can call each other and be like, how do we deal with this? And how do you do that? So I'm. it's, it's gonna be exciting to see this first cohort uh, bond and become a network of people around the country that will be able to support each other. It's just, it's a brilliant idea, Laura, like all of your ideas are. <laughs> See if they feel that way at the end of the week. We'll see. <laughs> I think what the exciting part is that it's in person, right? Like I, I was actually registered for an in-person workshop right at the beginning of the pandemic. And then, you know, that was canceled and postponed. And then I think I was in one of the first best practices that was, okay, we're on Zoom and we're figuring this out. And as everyone was, was doing, um, I think I've learned so much so much and and also I know would learn so much in person as well. Can you talk a little bit about the the difference, right? I mean, or or what that transition maybe was like to to teach in the Zoom way with uh, uh, the in person as just a, a comparison? Yeah, I mean, I think the in person is a lot more fun. <laughs> but I think we all do. But what's been great about the Zoom is the accessibility and that people can also maybe learn in a way that meets their needs. 
um, you know, if they only want to take in this bit of information today and then they want to retake it again later, it, it's affordable in a way that they can do that. Um, and that's something we'll never stop the online trainings because of the accessibility that they give people and the affordability that they give people. Um, I do have some good news. I can't announce dates yet, but I can tell you we will have three in-person two-day best practice workshops again starting in the fall. So um, they will be in three major cities. So they will be a people, but we'll be announcing those sometime over the summer. So we are coming back with our regular two-day in-person best practices. The one you were signed up for is coming back, um, which I'm excited to do. Uh, we decided to shift online uh, the, because of the pandemic. And Chelsea was eight months pregnant and she was due in like two weeks. And I called her and I said, I think we need to have some online workshops. Um, and she said, I don't think anyone will take them. And I said, I think about, I know about 10 people that would really like them. And I said, let's build them uh, and put them online. I'll take care of them before you give birth. So literally like a week before her due date, we built them and we put them up and we had to have conversations about like, because no one had any money and we didn't, we wanted to keep it accessible. So tiered pricing and, you know, we were creating all that. And, uh, and then we built it and we put them up and they sold out. The first one sold out in eight hours, we put up uh, something like that. And so, um, so then we navigated that world of what it means to teach online. And I started them initially. And then, cause Chelsea had beautiful baby dot. And then I think she did her first one starting in July or August after Dot was born in May. And then we continued them from there. Um, and we've learned a lot from those and, and we've grown from those and we've been able to create the other specialized workshops from those as well. Um, it's, um, it's just, it's just different. <laughs> I don't have to get on a plane to do those. I just walk down to my basement. Um, uh, you know, and we're all a little siloed in our bubbles, but, um, but I, I, I really enjoy the community that I've seen that build and the conversations that that build, you know, I've had people literally on a workshop one day from one day, there was someone from Singapore, Australia, Belgium, Germany, California, Texas, Alaska, all one day on the same workshop. So that was, that was pretty amazing. So I think the thing that's been best about the workshops besides the zoom workshops or the online workshops, besides the accessibility for people is the community that I've seen it build. Um, one of the things that's been, uh, an, another thing that's been so amazing, uh, uh, watching you and, and Chelsea and what you do, what you've done with this organization is this balance, this incredible balance. You, you kind of refer to it as like a day job or a, you know, whatever, but like you, you're still a teacher. Chelsea's still a teacher at a university. She just, you know, opened a show on Broadway. Um, how in the world do you do you juggle all of these things? Um, I guess I'll just leave it there. How, how would you juggle all of this? Um, I have an incredible partner. <laughs> Number one, I mean, I have to give him credit. My husband is amazingly supportive. Um, and we have incredible members of our team. Um, Kim Shively, who was the first faculty member to become an associate faculty member, uh, is just a tremendous pillar of support for TIE and also uh, in helping us do this work as well, along with many, many of our other team members, Emily Raleigh, Lucy Kuski, Kaya Dunn, uh, uh, 
so we have a, a lot of wonderful team team members like that have bringing them on ha, has really helped with it as well. Um, but it's hard. I'm not gonna pretend that it's not. It's really hard, and I have to be really strategic with my time and really clear about my calendar. And I have to um, explain to my daughters, like they're getting to an age now where they're like, why mommy leaving again? And, <laughs> and so I say, where are you always? And they say, yeah, mommy's hot. Um, Cause I'm about to go to Germany for two weeks to train the intimacy coordinators in the film industry there, which is such an exciting opportunity that I don't want to say no to, but I also have to leave my little girls for 10 days. So it's, it's a hard balance and it also takes a lot of organization, um, but it's really rewarding. And I'm really lucky that I'm at a university that is really supportive and appreciates the um, recognition that it brings to the university and appreciates what it brings to the student body there. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's hard. And a lot of times Chelsea and I are text texting or ca calling each other and we're like, okay, I'm driving here while you're driving here. Let's talk about this. We got this email about this. We've got to deal with this right now. What about this, this, and this. Um, we have an amazing uh, admin assistant, executive admin assistant. We brought on Kylie, um, Kylie Azure Green, who uh, answers everybody's emails who comes in because we are very much a small business. We are a small business, but um but we've just found really wonderful supportive people that have helped us and we have amazing partners that help us and we have to be very organized. As Maddie said, um, you know, Chelsea is the intimacy director on um, A Strange Loop, which just opened on Broadway. And of course uh, is the resident intimacy choreographer for Signature Theater. Um, and it just, makes me think about how the industry is um, embracing this area and how uh, in many ways in academia, the university system has is, is a little bit ahead of where this industry is. I'd love for you to just kind of talk about that um, element to it, which is um, some, most of these things are becoming industry standard um, and it is, it is, it feels like it's one project at a time. It's one resident uh, director or choreographer at a time. Can you just touch a lot, a little bit on that? I mean, yeah, we, we are in this moment where education got ahead on this and um, what's happened is it's, and we always said we wanted part of the reason we want to be in education is we change the industry, but who goes into the industry. And that's now that change is happening. I had an artistic director call me from New York a couple of weeks ago that said, I have a theater company in New York and I cast a lot of well-established actors in New York. And I cast a lot of people right out of school. And now I've got all these amazing actors that are 24, 25, 26 with all this consent and boundary work. Um, and it's all foreign to these established actors and we're kind of at an impasse. Can you come help me build a bridge? It's like, yes, I want to, I would love to. And that's part of the reason Matt, Chelsea and I have worked so well together is there's a generational difference between us. Um, we're 10 years apart in age and that's been actually really useful because it means I came up from a very different kind of training than she did. And, um, and we have a little bit of a different perspective on things that then we we can talk about. Um, there's been things she brought to the table early on that I was like, 
let me tell you, this kind of acting teacher is everyone going on board with that. So we got to think about this if we want to get it into the room. And um, and then there's been stuff that she brought on board. I was like, what? That's wild. That's cool. That's what's happening. OK, let's do it. Great. Right. You know, so. Um, so our differences are, are really what has been our our strength in all this. Um, and uh, so as we as we've come up with that something we realized where these tools have to be efficient like if people want to come and take a workshop and learn the whole like why why this is a tool we recommend great but we knew we would have to be able to get it and get it into the room quickly and so as we've worked professionally um that's how we help, have helped um, get it established there I mean something that Chelsea and I have been really clear from the beginning about is that You've got to understand your process and what it is you do when you walk into the room. What is actionable about this role? And a lot of folks, when it comes to intimacy, talk about what they aspire for this role to achieve, but can't necessarily say, this is how I actionably do it. And that's for us been the real difference about where our work speaks to people and where it has spoken into in in the actual professional room and why we keep getting invited back to those professional rooms. I'm curious. Um, so there's, there's, there's two types of people that I would love for you to, uh, to speak to. Uh, the first of which is the, the theater or musical theater professor who needs funding to attend a workshop, but doesn't have the language to, articulate to the muggle uh, dean or provost as to why this kind, why, why should the school who's strapped for cash because enrollment is down, why should they invest money in, uh, in attending one of these conferences or even bringing you all out? Like what would you, what is the language they can use to, uh, to, to talk to that muggle uh, uh, dean or, or provost? That this work isn't just about learning how to ethically stage a kiss on stage, although that's something you will learn to do, but it's also about investigating what consent-based spaces are and what setting boundaries are, and that that will ultimately help balance the power dynamic a little bit better. And so we're not just looking to have a physical movement for this point of theater, which it will do and be helpful, but it's also going to help make a cultural change in establishing um, a better flow of communication between students and faculty, particularly around consent and understanding what it means to set boundaries in order to have um, a more e equitable spaces. And so that that would be language I would encourage to use because that is, in fact, what it can do. Um what I, I actually started with the Title IX office, and I got them to buy in to what you all were doing, and then I, the, then I got a lot of support from all of the other administrators. Um, the other person that I'm hoping you could speak to is the, I don't want to, I, I don't want to put anybody down, but the the dinosaur, the the older professors that have been doing it the way they've been doing it a long time. They don't think this kind of work is necessary. Why should they invest in? Uh, in time and money when just asking the two actors to kiss has been working for their class for the last 20 years. Yeah, I want to make sure that we phrase this in a way that we're not being ageist because I've had a lot of people come to our workshops who are incorporating this work who range from all different generations and age groups. Um, I think I think 
what we're talking about is really what people see as resistance. Folks who just see it at see what folks often label as how do you deal with people who are resistant to the work? And to those folks, no matter what their background is or their ages or where they come from, what I how I view it is I actually don't see it as resistance. How I view it as experience. They have experience and the, and through their experience, they have figured out what works successfully. And now you're asking them to take some new tools and some new ideas that have never been sufficiently modeled in our industry and throw them into what they do. So it's like they know how to bake their cake. Why should we ask them to put all these new ingredients in when they know that cake sells really well? And so what I explain is, of course, maybe setting boundaries in this way seems radical, but it's never been modeled. We've never really had a field where we said, okay, actors, what are your boundaries? We don't expect you to be open to everything just because you we cast you. And that isn't what we've modeled in the industry for at least the past hundred years. So of course there could be some, I've not seen that. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Why should I bring that in? And it's about getting them to say, let me show you let's have a conversation or let me model it and you can see how it works. And we can talk about how it integrates into what you do. So I'm not asking you to reinvent the wheel here. What I'm asking you to do is take a couple more tools to help the wheel run a little bit better than it was already running. Uh, so that's my approach to it. And that's how I get into a conversation with folks about it. Folks who are never, ever going to come to the table. There's nothing I can say that's going to get them to the table. Um, but the folks who are unsure, um, or maybe resistant, I get that resistance because what we're asking just has not conventionally been a part of our field. So I, I understand that it might take a minute to get there. Thank you for that, and thank you for the the kind and loving correction as I sort of did make a, a bit of an ageist comment. I, I, you're absolutely right, and I super appreciate I super appreciate that. So uh, you know, as we're sort of rounding down our conversation a bit, I'm wondering if uh, you know, of course, we want everyone to take best practices and all of these specific classes as well. But I'm wondering if you have, um, some tips or tricks or, or some immediate kind of general things to offer our listeners um, about the world of intimacy or maybe even some basic uh, uh, things, tenets that they should understand. Um, and of course, they can come back to the book and, and, and sign up for best practices. But, but what would you offer someone who is just completely new to um, this work? I mean, I think what I would offer is keep in perspective the lens in which you're coming to it. Uh, one of our assistant faculty members, Greg Giffrod, and I probably, it's a French last name that I'm, I probably did messed up, Greg, I apologize, who is a, um, a, a, a teacher at um, Columbia College, Chicago said, and I love this phrase, um, it's about tools, not rules. 
So a, um, a lot of folks are coming in for like very strategic, uh, let's have some really strict rules that means nothing bad could ever happen again in any of our spaces. And what the first thing I would say is understand that's an impossibility. But what we're looking for are some tools that are gonna help us be better. So then hopefully more productive things will happen in our spaces and a lot less negative things will happen in our spaces. And so that would be the first thing because what we don't want is people to use this work to go in to police each other. We want to use this work to make everything better, to have better communication. And when and if people have deep concerns, there is never any fear of speaking up out of fear of retaliation. So I think, first of all, making sure that we have a positive perspective that we can come with. That doesn't mean we don't all have our stories. I mean, goodness, goodness, I do. But um, but we're going to move forward and be a lot more productive when we realize these are tools that we can integrate and use to serve everybody, um, not there to call each other out with, um, but to call in with instead. So that perspective, I think, is really important first. And then just some basic things. Un start to understand what it means to have a consent-based space and the complexity uh, that goes into consent. Um, the actual moment of consent does not have to be complex, but what we need to understand about uh, consent under circumstances can be that boundaries are fluid and that boundaries can change. And that means sometimes we got to do a little bit of extra work and go in and change the way we choreograph something or set something. That's fine. Um, that boundaries provide us the space in which to be boundlessly creative and that we've always had boundaries in our field. Giving a lighting cue a certain count is a boundary. Saying this is the set you have to work on is an actual boundary. So boundaries have existed in our field in all different ways. It's just now we're thinking about it in the area that like we weren't talking about it on the bodies of the instruments telling the stories out. Um, and, uh, and if you, if you don't have any um, basic choreographic language for intimacy, you could pick up the book and just read about opening and closing distance, levels of touch and placeholder. And you've got three really strong tools there to go do what most intimacy is, which is kissing and hand holding anyway, um, if you're thinking about physical intimacy. So anyone can learn to do it. Um, and just stay open-minded and realize that there is no perfect answer to any hypothetical situation we can talk about, but all of the tools will hopefully help us be a little bit better when any moment comes up and hopefully a little bit better than maybe what we've had modeled for us in the past. And can you just expand on one of my favorite aspects of this, which is the um, comfort, right? comfort versus boundary. Um, it's just my favorite part because I feel like I've been able to apply that to so many different aspects. And I, even just a little brief bit about that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, ha having a boundary and being comfortable is not the same thing uh, because theater and film and television, we don't write comfortable stories. We write stories about the un most uncomfortable moments of characters' lives and watch them navigate that. And so imagining the given circumstances of characters is not comfortable. Um, you know, I, being at the theater at night is not comfortable for a lot of people. Wearing a costume, wearing fishnets is not comfortable for me. But if I get cast in Chicago, does it work for my boundaries to do it? Sure. Yeah. So I really encourage folks that when you're creating 
performance work, get comfort out of the space. There's, if you want comfort, uh, find the play. I always say, find the play where I can be drinking a glass of wine, sitting in a, a lazy boy watching the great British baking show. Nobody's going to pay to see that. Um, so, um, so it's not about comfort. It's about what works for our boundaries. And, you know, if a, if a acting student were to say to me, I'm not comfortable with Hamlet's uncle killing his father and marrying his mother. I don't want you to be, please don't be comfortable. Never be comfortable with that scenario, but does it work for your boundaries to tell this story? That's what we're looking for. And then if it does work for your boundaries, then what support do you need to do that within that? So that's, I think that's the other thing we have to think about is all because someone says, okay, it works for my boundaries to do that. That doesn't mean they're going to absolutely go forward and do it with no need of any kind of support. They, they will need some support. Um, in telling these loaded stories, which is what my work in consent in the acting costume is all about. How do we support the actor through uh, this loaded storytelling that we do? Um, so, yeah, so I just, I think, just remember that like, if you're looking for comfort, I think you found the wrong occupation. Um, it's it's fun uh, that that's your favorite part, Kikau, uh, because the one-two punch for me is my favorite part, which is what's on your shirt right now. I've got a shirt at home. It's on a post-it note on my computer right in front of me, which is that your boundaries are perfect exactly where they are. And that has become such a mantra for me uh, internally for not just um, that I'm teaching my students, but self-application as well. Um, it's, uh, that is a transformative statement that was never taught to me when I was a theater student getting a BFA in musical theater. And um, the, the, I believe that the theater industry is gonna be a much safer space when it can we will all embrace that and all of our students that we're teaching it now as you were saying go into the the profession and um can really can really live by that so that that to me is is the most powerful thing that i have learned from from you and your organization and all the work that that's i have a, done that's a chelsea pace quote so i have to make sure i give credit to where credit's due yeah it's it's phenomenal uh, so this has been amazing. Uh, we're we're sort of on the home stretch now. We're wrapping up. We end every episode by asking our guest if they have any resources that they would recommend uh, to our listeners that they can uh, you could use to ap apply in their classroom or in in the administration of their programs. Um, Laura, do you have any recommended uh, resources? Uh, yeah, we can always. Um go to theatricalintimacyed.com and find out more about our workshops and training there. And anyone who takes our workshops, we provide with a number of do documentation models and resources. Um, we have the book, Staging Sex, Best Practices, Tools and Techniques by Chelsea Pace with contributions from me. And then another book written by Kevin Otis and Kim Shively is Applied Meisner for the 21st Century Actor. You don't have to be a um, Meisner person to like it, but it really explains how to um, incorporate this work into the acting classroom. And then by the end of the year, I will have a book consent in the acting classroom, poeticizing the uncomfortable, um, which should be out by Routledge. Hopefully, well, it will be out by the end of the year. Uh, so those are some of our resources. Um, and 
you know, if you ever have questions or concerns, you can always reach out to Laura at theatricalintimacyed.com and we're happy to chat with you and see what we can do to support you and your community. Amazing. You are phenomenal. Like, <laughs> I just think you are it. Uh, Kikau, uh, any... Yeah, no, just thank you so much for, for being here. Um, I, I know how important this work is and how um, transformative it has already been for our organization, our university. I've seen firsthand um, students and, and faculty members just shift, change. And uh, we're just so grateful to have you here and have you on. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really humbled and grateful. Music for Carefully Taught was provided by Joshua Haig. For more information, visit joshuahaigmusic.com.